0: Welcome to the Last Lap Podcast. Welcome
1: to the Last Lap Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Last Lap Podcast, the only podcast that thinks that Nico Rosberg's car might have been fueled with tequila rather than normal fuel last race. <laughs> 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 Worth waiting for. Right. <clears throat> I'm, your, I'm your host, Andrew Pearson. And alongside me, as always, is the wonderful co-host of mine, Sean Gray.
0: Good evening. Or, or good morning, depending on your <laughs> time of day when you're listening to this.
1: Yes, it depends how long it's taken to download the, download the podcast. So um, I guess we'd probably get on and better start it, really, so it doesn't go on too long. Um, this week's episode is the Mexican Grand Prix. Our return to um, the Autodroma de la... whatever his name was, can't remember. Um, Juan, somebody? Juan Rodriguez? It was something Damn. like that. Man Miguel, something anyway, I'll return to Mexico um <laughs> uh for the first time in was it thirty years, something ridiculous like that
0: uh, yeah, the best part of I think between twenty five and thirty years, something like
1: that uh, a, a packed out venue, um which was nice to see for Formula One, although um it's hardly surprising giving its the return of the race um i'm sure that turkey when it first opens its doors was uh probably full to the brim full of people and, s- and very quickly found out that they didn't necessarily stay all that long um, yeah
0: well that's true <laughs> it's a shame because that's a good race track as well but never mind that's uh, for another day
1: <laughs> indeed or, or several days <laughs> quite possibly um so yeah well a, a lot of expectation going into this one um you know returning to a a classic track even though it's been slightly neutered since the uh, original days of Formula 1 racing uh, in Mexico. Um, and I, I guess really starting with qualifying, at least we got a little surprise there. Um, with uh, Nico grabbing pole from, from Lewis after um, Lewis's triumphant win in Austin, it, it kind of almost felt like it might be a bit of a formality for the rest of the few races with Nico with very little to really chase after. I, I can't imagine very many formula one drivers get that motivated to come second uh, in the championship really
0: true yeah there was an interesting question one of the journalists asked if his battle was with sebastian for second place in the championship and uh nico didn't look too impressed by that question <laughs> put it that way
1: no i can't um, can you say
0: you say a bit of surprise but it was his fourth pole in a row so you know, putting uh, it on pole is not been his problem.
1: It's, uh, <laughs> Doing anything with it has been. Yeah,
0: the <laughs> uh, keeping loose behind him has been the issue, I think, as we covered last week. So, <laughs> so yeah, maybe not such a surprise to see him on, on pole. Uh, you know, like you say, could he keep him behind? That that was the big question going into the race.
1: Um, did we get some? It, um, it was was it practice that was slightly damp. But the actual quali and race was fine, or was there a bit of dampness in the quali? I can't remember.
0: I think I think it was just practice. Uh, yeah, I think they set the the times on qualifying on uh, dry tires, far as far as I can remember.
1: Hmm. Okay, fair enough. I was uh, I couldn't and and now can't remember which was you know which bits of of wet were in North America and which bits of wet were in South America. I'm sure there was yeah. there was some inclement weather at some point, but. I uh, but anyway, um, yeah, yeah, it was definitely,
0: definitely slicks in in qualifying.
1: Okay, cool. <laughs> um, so, um, well, let's jump to the obvious thing, which is the race result. I guess. Um, Nico Rosberg winning his first race for seven or eight races, I think it wasn't it something ridiculous like that. Not a a it's run a cha- he was probably very proud of, but
0: not championship winning form. Put it that way. Is it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> certainly wasn't me, as it turned out to be um indeed well, he seemed very capable this this race didn't make any mistakes um didn't seem to overdrive the car um well
0: little case of the pressure being off now i guess maybe with the the titles already over he could just
1: possibly nothing, uh,
0: uh, nothing to lose nothing he had nothing to bottle like yeah, in the way that he has done in the past, I don't, I don't know. Um, but the biggest problem for me was it was the a classic case that we've had often this season of whoever got to the first corner, won the race really, which Rosberg got to the first corner first, and uh, and that that was it. <laughs> There's you know, when you get days like this where the Mercedes is such, so far and away. In front of everybody else that they they only they only have each other, and when an equal machinery if unless somebody makes a really silly mistake like Rosberg in, in in america they, they probably aren't going to pass them, they probably aren't going to be able to because they they're literally in equal cars, so it was a little bit a case of watching watching for the action behind for me. what did you think
1: yeah, it was um. Yeah, that that that's kind of fairly typical fare that we've we've had this season, really. Where um,
0: so, cars so just enter
1: to- little races of their own, and it just seems to be that throughout the race. There, there's no real massive change in position or anything like that, um, other than when people you know get punctures or, or things like that. So uh,
0: it's like you've touched on before, where they they don't let the Mercedes go on contrary strategies. So really. The guy's going to... Whoever's leading is going to pit, he gets to the first corner, he gets to pit first. So he's going to come back out in first. And uh, and the guy who's behind is never going to be able to to pass the guy in front no matter what happens. You know, unless, like I say, somebody does something really silly, which Nico has done in the past. (laughs) Uh, But he didn't do that this week. And because he didn't do that, no matter how good Lewis Hamilton is, no matter how fast he is no matter how many brilliant races he's driven this season and won the world championship he couldn't pass the guy in front of him because he just didn't the guy in front of him was equally as quick
1: well and the the ongoing saga that is being behind a formula one car um especially at tracks where tire, tires are um degrading uh just does you no favors because A, you've got to catch up to the guy in front, which means you're going to be working your car harder. And then, you know, once you're up behind him, suddenly you're getting hot air poured all over your car, so your tyres heat up and they, you know, brakes heat up and everything gets hot and and falls to pieces. So you you can't, you know, you can't chase hard behind somebody for any length of time. And on a Mercedes-Mercedes battle, like you say, whether it's Lewis in front or Nico in front, whoever's behind is is getting the you know, the pooey end of the stick, so to speak. Well, that's
0: it. There's just nothing the guy in second can do. It's good to, no matter who it is behind, it could be Alonso behind or, uh, I don't know. Vettel. Uh, Vettel, yeah, or whoever you want. They're not going to be able to, to pass the guy in front on equal machinery, which, you know, is the problem we've had a lot this season. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how to, what what to do about that, really. I know my, fir- my first protocol would keep, it's like a broken record, but I think if you could refuel the cars, it might, you know, people would fuels there'd be different fuel loads, so people could try different things. I know that leads to passing in the pits, which people don't really like, but I'd rather see someone in second go a bit mad on a fuel strategy to try and make something happen rather than just falling them around for 60 laps and then finish in second, short quarter, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's a difficult one. I'm not really sure how to solve it overnight
1: no i think the following question in be slightly solved when 2017 rolls around and they make the cars that that bit wider and uh lower um so that the aero is less of a um less of a factor following the pirelli march towards um I don't know, 25 inch tires—not <laughs> 25 inch tires, but you know, what I mean, bigger tires mm-hmm. would make a difference because mechanical grip then is less of a premium, um, since you've got more rubber in contact with the f- with the uh, the floor uh, and more rubber in general. Um, those are all the things that you know are coming, might help, but some kind of return to not ground effect itself but allowing air, more air to pass under the car than over it would make an instantaneous difference realistically um, if there was something that allowed that application of, of aerodynamics it would make a big difference because you're firing the air into the floor um, it's not going you know across and through the car and getting really hot and coming out there and it's being channeled underneath it's not getting heated up anywhere near as much uh, and it's not really going into the airflow of the other car. You know, it's it's being passed along the floor. There's a lot less turbulence. So, you know, Brundle pointed that out within <laughs> four races at the start of the season. Um, nobody seems to have really come up with a, a viable option of, of how to make that happen. But it seems the most sensible, seems the most obvious anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree completely with what you said there. Uh, but, what was that, 2017? We're going to see some new regulations. Yeah. It's a long way to go. <laughs> yes. <let>
1: <laughs> a, a third season of probable Mercedes dominance beckons, which is not really. I think what the neutral would like to see in Formula 1, I'm sure Mercedes fans would be fairly happy to see a third season of Mercedes dominance, but there you go. Um, I, I guess... The interesting point about this race, and I I don't want to talk about it too much because it tends to bring out the warring factions of the internet when we talk about these kind of things. Uh, But I guess we have to talk about it since it was probably the most interesting uh, incident in the race. Um, As we're closing into the end of the race, the Mercedes were uh, a country mile ahead of uh, Daniel Kvyat in in third place in the Rebel. And with a pit stop in hand by by quite some way um chose to pit both cars just in case um mm-hmm. just to make sure that they got their stop out of the way uh, and they were ready to go and they didn't need to uh yeah. worry about um safety cars or anything else ruining their race later on um, understandable yep yeah, uh, as a as a tactical call i don't think that there's there's anything wrong with that <clears throat> uh, Roswell pitted first cuz he was first uh as they have done and demonstrated over the last two seasons it's just the way it works they they, they pick the guy in first he gets the first chance of the uh, of the pit stop um lewis running behind felt that he didn't need to change his tires that there was uh, there was life left in them and so instead of coming in when asked to box he took another lap um uh before uh, i guess Pete Bonneton got a little bit more insistent with him and he, he came in and changed his tires um, on the lap that Rosberg was out on the fresh rubber, uh, and Lewis was on the old tyres, Rosberg was two seconds, uh, about thereabouts quicker than, than Lewis. Um, so I'm not sure, I'm not sure Lewis was on the money there to think that. Oh Rosberg
0: up, would have caught him anyway. Like,
1: y- yeah, um. So he would have had to have pitted at least, you know, at some point. Now, let's say he manages 10 more laps um, on those tyres. If he's losing two seconds a lap, you know, every lap, he's lost 20 seconds. So he's, you know, he's lost his advantage. And that's if it maintains a two-second gap. But it's not going to because his tyres are only going to get worse. Um and Mercedes reported after the race that Lewis's tyres at the end of the end of that stint were in worse shape than Nico's were, which is unsurprising given that he's been, you know, he's been following Nico at that point. It's you know, um, not a fault of of Lewis that they were that way, but it's what you get from following the car in front. Um, so I, I I don't know. There seemed to be a lot of anger that they weren't being allowed to race, but they've not been allowed to race all season. Do you know what I mean? It's just so happened that that Lewis has been in front, and so. Nico's had to wait for his pit stop and get the suboptimal, you know, uh, strategy for his own race to, to race his teammate. Um, but that's been the Mercedes call for, you know, two seasons. Probably more than that, but we just haven't really noticed or, um, or really cared when it's been them in their sort of midfield pack. Um, so, I, I don't... I didn't quite understand why people seem to be chastising Mercedes for not letting Lewis called his own race. Um, because never, if they'd, if they'd yeah. let him call his own race, he'd have probably ended up... Well, in fact, he would have ended up ended up looking very stupid because um, five or six laps after he pitted, the safety car came out. So he would have had, what, about eight seconds, give or take? Eight, nine seconds ahead of Rosberg at that point. So unless um, he was right by the pit entrance... And could get in and have his stop and come out. There was no way in, you know there wasn't a cat in hell's chance he was ever going to get out ahead of Rosberg if he had to pit during the safety car. So, cause he, and he would have had to have pitted during the safety car because um, there's just no way that he could have allowed the train to catch up right up behind him on old tyres. So I don't understand. the Mercedes. Mercedes did the right thing but because it didn't benefit Lewis, it was a bad idea. I don't quite understand the logic behind that, really.
0: There's there's no different for me. Lewis behind wanting to stay out on the, the old set and take them to the end. There's, he wasn't allowed to do that because that wasn't a team strategy. In the same way that Nico Rosberg, when he's been second behind Lewis, wasn't allowed to... You know, come in and do an extra stop, a lot of the times, just stuff like that. And let, the only time Rosberg was allowed to do things like that was when he'd found himself down in fourth or fifth and needed to get back up into second. But when Rosberg was exactly behind Lewis at times, they would never have allowed Nico to do a different strategy to get the to get ahead of Lewis. They never do. They never race the strategies against each other, which we've we've talked about loads of times before. So I don't know why all of a sudden people were expecting them to do that that's just not what they do you know if, if whoever's in first and second if, if mercedes have first and second and there's only a few seconds between the first and second and a gap to the rest of the field it's going to stay that way unless somebody makes a mistake on track or somebody does a brilliant move on track they're never going to go contrary strategies because there's absolutely no need to why would they that's the it's not going to get the best result for the team the mercedes always do what's the best result for the team like and and Lewis coming in there we, we guaranteed the one-two, so why would Mercedes do anything other than that? Just what? Just because Lewis is the world champion and he wants to do something different? Well, no, that's not the way they've ever done it. So why should they start doing it now?
1: No, and it's, was, it's worth remembering that a, a driver is still an employee of the team. It's a very important member of the team. Let's you know, let's not <laughs> let's not get that you know mixed up or anything like that. But. You're under the you know the employ of a team, and if the team tells you to pit, then realistically you should pit. That's we we kind of think that's the it's the same with team orders, isn't it? it mm-hmm. It's one thing to be you know upset that you have to move over for your teammate, but you should do it because it's what the team have suggested. And I uh, I know there's been a couple of occasions where both Lewis and Vettel have you know challenged those decisions, and they've been right to challenge them because the strategy wasn't actually there to to make you know like when um Lewis wouldn't let Nico through just because he was on better tires but they were racing for the same position well that's absolutely fair enough but in times like this where the call isn't being made to disadvantage anybody it didn't disadvantage Lewis to pit you know the lap after in the you know by by very much yeah you know, he does one one more lap on the older tires but he can you know he can run those down to the canvas in that last lap if he really wants to, because he knows he's coming in. Um, so it, it, it's not like he was teetering on some pre- precipice of massively losing out by by pitting. So it seemed just such a weird thing to um, to kick up a fuss about. Uh, you know.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: But well, there you go. I, I you know. If that's the racer in him doing that, fair enough. Um, I, I guess I, I think sometimes you know, when it's a finite call like that, sometimes you just I think you just have to shut up and do what the strategist tells you, um, because and, that, that's what they've done all the all the other races. Yeah, and well it's worked it. in his favour in all the other races. So why change it now?
0: It would be great if the if they had the two separate sides of the garage and they just said to them. You guys do whatever you want and you guys do whatever you want and see what happens. That would be brilliant. You know, that way we might have got, like, when Nico was behind him trying something different to try and pass Lewis or Lewis trying to hang on here and it, and it blown up in his face or, or, or not or otherwise and winning in the race. That would be great. It would be great for a neutral, but well, that's in no way benefit to Mercedes to do that. So I don't know why anybody would expect them to. Like
1: No. Indeed, they're
0: they're one team all they care about is the most points for the team you know and doing this was going to guarantee the maximum points so there was never really there should never have been any argument from anybody
1: yep absolutely um so finishing in third place was Valtteri Bottas in the Williams that's their um I I guess uh, although they've had um uh was it did Bottas get a podium last time I can't remember. Uh, no. It was, I can't remember no, it was Vettel last time, wasn't it? I think. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Although I think how actually has Bottas had a podium this season or was that his first podium?
0: Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm sure I can find out. <laughs> Don't
1: worry about it. It's not fun. Anyway, um Bottas certainly equalling if not definitely getting the best result for Williams this season. Yeah, he um, was he was third in Canada. Uh, okay. Interesting, very different tracks, very different tracks. Interesting. Oh well, uh, Bottas anyway. Um,
0: but that's only two podiums he's had. Which for Williams, having the car they they'd have, you'd expect a little bit more than that. You'd have to say. Well, they've I
1: definitely. I think it definitely confirms the uh, the surpassing of them by the Ferraris this season.
0: Yep, definitely. I mean, if you just even look through Bottas's results, ninety five percent of them are either four or fifth which kind of tells its own story.
1: True. Um so yeah, Bottas had an interesting race really with the Red Bulls of uh Daniel Kvyat and Daniel Ricardo. Um they all seem to be kind of swapping places at different points in the race. It seemed to be going for them and then against them at at various different points. Um watching um it was was it Bottas on Kvyat at the restart or Ricardo? I can't remember might have been they swapped places now, I think it was Kvyat, Um after the virtual safety car was it the virtual safety car and he just hang a minute let me remind myself of this oh, it's just written down somewhere uh, uh, was it just the safety car restart maybe actually sorry um, and what the f- <laughs> What on earth are you doing? Me? Yes.
0: Oh, I was drinking water.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sounded like you were suckling at the teat of some strange beast.
0: I mean, it's in a bottle, but yeah. It's a bottle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <clears throat> anyway, uh, yeah. So, so Bottas. I can't remember now. There was a was there a virtual safety car this race as well? I can't. Because I remember somebody was complaining about a virtual safety car restart and then because they got absolutely mugged by Bottas after the restart. But I thought that might have been... um, No. Uh, No, can't remember. Anyway, Bottas jumped them basically at the safety car restart uh, and then peeled away with it, really. Um, It was quite interesting to see um, because you might have thought that the... Uh, the rebels might have been a bit in a bit of bit of a better situation, having had all the safety cars and bits and pieces to um, maintain their tires. He they would thought they'd have been a bit more slippery in the corners and just made it a bit more difficult for Bottas. But he kind of breezed past them in short order, really, and then um big straights at, at this
0: track, you know. True, true. The true, runs that- was good down the street all all weekend, which you know. <laughs> we don't need to document how poor the Red Bull is when it comes to straight-line engine speed. So, yeah, I think that hurt them there. That's probably cost them a podium, to be honest.
1: Yeah. Yes, I would have thought so. Um, but a good race from Bottas, none the, nonetheless. Here they're a little coming together in somewhat of uh, Revengi on uh, Kimi Raikkonen.
0: Of course, yeah, that 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 was... You know you couldn't have made that up, could you? The two of them clashing <laughs> no. again, and this time it being Kimmy who didn't, uh, who didn't rejoin the race. Just uh, it was just perfect storytelling, you know. Like <laughs> it's, it's absolutely brilliant, and and uh, pretty sure it was Kimmy's fault again, wasn't it? I, or, or, what do you make it? It, or, uh,
1: it was slightly, it was slightly more fifty-fifty than the the last one, which was uh, totally uh, Kimmy's fault. That's worst, definitely but, true. Um, but uh, yeah, there was there was a lot of. Um, still of and kind of leaving his car in a place where it wasn't suitable for it to be although it, at least in this case it was on the outside of a corner and <laughs> not steaming up the inside in a particularly reckless way um, <laughs> oh, so yeah. I, I must admit uh, you know I, I, I like Kimmy Rikkanen a lot I certainly got nothing against the guy but I did have a little smirk on my face I thought oh yeah, oh, karma comes around and <laughs> and bites occasionally, doesn't it? Um, so that, that was,
0: was brilliant.
1: <laughs> was entirely funny. Uh, the Red Bulls fourth and fifth had a couple of good races, haven't they? At the end of this season, what what do we feel that's around? Do you think Red Bull have made a step forward in the chassis a little bit? That's just you know given the car a you know a bit better handling or even a little bit better speed possibly or dare I say, it, that the Renault engine has improved in some <laughs> measurable quantity?
0: Uh, I'm not sure. They ended up only getting one point in uh, in America for all their good work. Well, but you know what I mean, yeah, the, they the had work, a good they, race. Yeah, then, didn't the they? work was there, you know, they just got a bit unfortunate. This weekend, yeah, I guess they've um, I'm not, kind of where I'd expect them to be really at this stage in the season. You know, behind, comfortably behind the Mer- Mercedes, probably behind the Ferraris at this track if they never had their own <laughs> just complete insane race as a, a whole unit of a team with Vettel, pff, having God knows what Vettel was up to and and, and doing his uh, having his little little thing with Valtteri. I'd say the, yeah, the Ferraris, uh, I'd, I'd expected them to have beat the Red Bulls here, all things being equal, which would have left the Red Bulls in about fifth and sixth, which is kind of where I'd expect them to be, so. I suppose that's fair enough. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I, th- I think they had a, a, a decent enough race, uh, but nothing nothing sort of spectacular. Uh, just going back, it was, uh, just after the, the restart, it was Bottas that passed. Fiat into and into the first corner right after the restart, so that's how that's how Bottas got into third, and obviously that left Fiat in fourth and Ricardo in fifth. Then the more interesting thing for me is not Red Bull's pace as as a team, but more Fiat, you know, again coming ahead of Ricardo, which I think uh, he's done quite a few times recently. Yeah. So he just kind of going under the radar a little bit for me because everybody's getting really excited about Verstappen. That um yeah, Fiat's yeah, doing a really good job in that car. I would say.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, a very good point actually. He's definitely. I mean, if you if we think back to the start of the season, people were fearing for his job. Do you know? What I mean, he was getting the he was getting mm-hmm. the hurry up from good old um, helmet Marco about you know about his driving because he he'd had a few incidents and bits and pieces. Well, he's he's certainly come back in the latter half of this season. Um, his first season in the Um, in the team proper. Yeah, the big boy team. (laughs) Lest we forget, do you know what I mean? It's not like you know, it's you know, it's Daniel's second season, so he's he's at least had that experience of of being in the in the big team for a while. So another great performance from Daniel, showing. I I guess probably that we were all a little, you know, it seems a, a bit silly now suggesting that we thought he was a bit too young when you've got Max Verstappen on the grid, but um. We did, didn't we? When he when we first heard him being announced, we were a bit skeptical of we were, yeah. the young Russian and and what he might actually bring, other than possibly Russian, you know, rubles. Um, but I'm happy to see another young driver coming through the ranks and, and, and doing well.
0: Yeah, he's definitely had a very strong uh, second half of to the season. Bit unlucky in USA. The the wheels kind of went off his race a little bit with this. Obviously the the rain and Red Bull never they didn't seem to be able to compete in the dry and then and then he binned it in the wall uh which you know was wasn't great but before that he was sold in Russia and he said good good points finishes all through the the second half of the season so just yeah I, I like Fiat, I like the way he talks you know in, in the in the interviews and stuff uh, I'd, I'd like to see him get a little bit more more praise because we're all getting so excited about about Max. And Max is clearly a talent, but you know you know linking Max with uh the big the big teams and stuff is a bit premature for me. And I feel like Dan, Dan Fiat needs needs more of a mention.
1: I think it could be in a way <clears throat> the fact that Mercedes and Ferrari appear to be fighting over Max could be a good thing for both Rebel drivers really. Um, That's true. I think Rebel might well be well advised to maintain those two as a driving duo and say, okay, you know, Max can go off and do his own thing in the other in the other teams, but let's not destabilise a good thing by chucking Max in there. And, you know, it's one thing chucking him in at Toro Rosso and seeing if he upsets the Apple cart. It's quite another to stick him in the senior team and, you know, upset one of your other two really good drivers by A, dropping one of them and then... Um, having to put the other one with a complete and utter uh, F1 rookie so yeah, it would be, it'd be interesting to see if that might even happen um, that Red Bull don't put up as that much of a fight to uh, keep Max part of the Red Bull family
0: who knows where Red Bull are going well, um, there may not be a I, I, senior I team if, for them
1: to go to I guess. I
0: just, I just think it would be a total shame if, if Fiat gets booted out of the Red Bull for Max Verstappen and I like Max, yeah, but I think another season in the Toro also will do him no harm. And, and Fiat deserves another season in the in the senior team.
1: Sixth place was um, Philippa Massa. Uh, what's happening with Massa, really? He seems to <laughs> be going a bit off the ball at the end of this season. He'd started the season well enough, but...
0: Just feel like Felipe has been off the boil a bit for about five years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's probably true. He's enough. Just
0: doing his thing, yeah. He's just he's just doing. his He's just being Felipe Massa. This is it's what Felipe Massa does, you know. He just just. I saw a video eg- of him eg- on. existing. What what's your career, Felipe? He's professionally <laughs> being Felipe Massa. You know, he gets paid to be Felipe Massa. I love Felipe, but yeah, I mean, he's he's not he's, he's a shadow of his former self, isn't he? He hasn't won a race for six years uh since in fact he hasn't won a race since brazil 2008 <laughs> yeah. which we all know what happened there so yeah
1: i saw a, a video of him uh, on facebook uh racing his son around his living room in a couple of those electric go-karts that have got um handbrakes so you can do like handbrake turns in them <laughs> and i think I get the kind of feeling that's really what Felipe would rather be doing at this stage in his career rather than um actually driving around in a um a Williams which is, you know, with all the will in the world, not likely to uh win him another win him a world title at this point, so Felipe
0: Massa is what Nico Rosberg is desperately trying not to become. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Because he's just driving around, scoring points in an average car, collecting a good paycheck and, you know, and being completely content doing it. And that's what Nico has to be, at this point in his career. I bet he's getting kept awake at night going, don't become Felipe Massa, don't become Felipe Massa, because... it's Rubens Barrichello all over again, isn't it? Just yep. you know, it's, it's fine you' are gonna win a few Grand Prix Felipe's won about ten Grand Prix Barrichello won about ten Grand Prix or something, become a multimillionaire doing it, getting to drive brilliant cars. It's a great life, eh, but never gonna never gonna be be the man
1: no it, it, it I think I tweeted about this about how easy I think it can be for drivers to end up being career number two drivers being really good but never really being considered to be the lead of the team mm-hmm. um you know barrichello got the real shot in the stick because obviously he, he drove against schumacher and well regardless of whether there was a number one number two status which there probably was schumacher is you know uh a measure better than barrichello ever would have been so screwed there, and Massa had his chance and it kind of crumbled within two seasons for him, and okay, the head injury's not his fault, there's no, you know, not saying that at all, but it, you know... It, even
0: before then, though, I think I think it's the same with Rosberg, you know, losing that title on that last day, in the same way that Rosberg lost the title to Lewis right down to the wire last season, it had such a Catastrophic effect on him mentally That, you know He, he couldn't recover from that You know, he, th- he thought he had the title in the bag And it didn't happen And to a certain extent Nico has recovered from the same Sort of disappointment this. It's, it's extremely tough to get over something like that And it, not everybody's got it You know Master doesn't wasn't able to Start to look as if though Nico Probably don't, doesn't either Which is a shame But
1: there's an interesting parallel, obviously, isn't there, in the in the fact that both kind of um, Massa was there as the understudy for a long time and probably felt that the, the team was coming to him. Um, and then ultimately, you know, Alonso comes in and, and blows that dream out of the water. And essentially, that's the same thing for Nico. He was at Mercedes first, running through, um, you know, running with Michael Schumacher and getting arguably better results than him. And then suddenly Lewis Hamill comes in and the whole thing goes, tits up for him. Mm-hmm. You know, suddenly this this role that he thought he was inheriting by being the good boy and playing the long game. Nope, it's gone.
0: Interesting parallels, eh? Just another interesting one, going back to Barrichello. Massa and Rubens Barrichello have the exact same number of wins as well. Oh, really? Is, i just seen it there, which is 11. So, Yep, I wonder how many Nico Rosberg's got.
1: hopefully a few more than that after the last couple of seasons but it probably might not be that far different i guess um Anyway, moving on from Felipe Massa before I feel I feel we've we've completely run him into the ground. If he's listening, I'm really sorry, Felipe. We we love you. I promise.
0: Right, Massa's been one of my favourite Formula One drivers for a long time, but that is what it is, you know. I was a huge Rubens Barrichello fan as well. He's exactly the type of driver I like. I like the plucky underdog number two, you know. Uh, incidentally, Nico Rosberg. Has- <laughs> in no way related (laughs) Uh, has 12 Grand Prix victories so he has one more than both Rubens Barrichello and Felipe Massa at this stage in his career and would hope you would think a few more to come in future
1: yes behind whoever's in the number one spot Uh, (laughs) anyway uh, from Nico to Nico uh, Nico Hulker picking up uh, his best race result for quite a while uh, in 7th for Force India um, ahead of of uh, hometown hero Sergio Perez which probably endeared him to absolutely nobody at the time. Um
0: at least Hulkenberg was able to go through this race and not drive into the side of anybody yes. which which was a media improvement on his last few weekends. So there we go. That's well done Nico.
1: I don't really know what happened to Perez though because he was he was up as far as sort of fourth or fifth wasn't he at at one point and then I don't know maybe he got so vi- oh um He got Rogered by the safety car, didn't he? I'm pretty sure he was the big loser in the safety car stuff, in that he was trying for the longer strategy, uh, and then the safety car came along, and it was just like, well, you know, well, we'll we'll try and stay out, and then they did, and then it was just like, why did we stay out? This was a mega bad idea, and he came in and so dropped all the way down from you know a sort of fifth place right back behind his teammate. I think. I think
0: yeah, yeah, and he had to try and battle back, and I think he might have passed a couple, but. That was yeah, it wasn't great from a from a strategic point of view. They were trying the you know, the classic pair is if anybody can drag it to the end it'll be him, but obviously circumstances didn't work out.
1: Uh Max Verstappen in ninth for Toro Rosso. Good result again. Uh for young yep. Maximilian. Um Don't remember very much of his race, do you?
0: Not overly. <laughs>
1: Um, Roman Grosjean in 10th uh, scoring some points for Lotus ahead of his teammate but only by a second or so
0: um has been finishing Grand Prix recently I've noticed he's he, kind of
1: he has it's been a bit disappointing in that had his
0: process. head screwed on he must just be saving, saving us for one big end of season finale
1: <laughs> maybe his sponsorship money has been all used up in the number of cars he's totaled so now he's <laughs> just like right I've got to be careful now I can't, can't drive like a lunatic now um Let's, let's talk news for a second then with Lotus this Renault deal seems to be getting closer Bob Bell has left Marussia to become part of this potentially John Booth and um, the other guy from Marussia might might well be joining on to the project Lotus will be going though it's been pretty much confirmed If if Renault join it won't be Renault Lotus for more than at most a season, so that they can collect uh, Lotus's paycheck, basically. Um, so there'll be something like Lotus Renault next season, and then twenty seventeen they'll just be Renault because they can afford to drop the Lotus then at that point. Um, mm-hmm. Which is kind of sad because we were all quite happy to see the Lotus mark back, even though it, you know, technically existed twice on the grid for a little while. Um, it was nice to see the sort of black and gold livery even if it wasn't, you know, the sort of um, real John Player Special of old. We had those kind of magical moments with Grosjean and Kimi for that one season where it seemed that they'd got the car right. But it's never really amounted to anything, has it? Nothing tangible for the team. And I guess that's where they find themselves in the position where they're going to have to sell to Renault.
0: It's a shame because on one hand, I was a big fan of the, the Fernando Alonso Renault team. So I'm I'm happy to see uh, Renault back. Oh, I think it's always good when a a manufacturer uh, come comes in, comes back into the sport like that. Uh, but yeah, a shame, a shame to see the Lotus brand going. You know, it's, it's full of history. It's a shame we can't have the best of both worlds and have have a Renault team and then also have have the Lotus brand. But as you say, they're in that position for a reason, uh, and the greater good has to be the money that Renault bring and, and the stability and stuff. So, and they'll probably be better off as a as a Formula One team for it, you know. I mean yeah. it, they're going to be run by Formula One people by the signs of things, and not you know whoever's in charge at Lotus, <laughs> which probably doesn't have a clue what they're doing. So, uh, and yeah in the long run it's the best decision and it's the the right decision but just a little a little twinge of sadness I do like the black and gold livery and stuff like that as well you know it will be a shame but it's the way the world eh? do
1: you think the lettuce will come back in the red and blue Uh, the red and blue Uh, yellow and blue livery or do you think we'll get that horrific white and orange abomination that had the ING sponsorship on it
0: oh hopefully not that one that one was terrible uh, yeah, so it was a terrible no
1: car driven by at the time an equally terrible Roman Grosjean
0: <laughs> Fernando won, uh, won a couple of Grand Prix in that car but yeah that wasn't great <laughs> uh, no I, I have no idea to be honest I'd quite like to see the blue and yellow of 2005 back but that was they were linked up with uh, sponsors then that I think t- meant that that was the colour I, I don't really know what they'll go for could be anything
1: yes i suppose that's true um well i guess that part of that was the benetton one wasn't it i guess was
0: well yeah the move
1: from from the, it was disp- the blue
0: from the benetton yeah and they were also sponsored by telefonica i think
1: which was yellow didn't they they had the little yeah which is a kind of blue and,
0: and yellow thing so that that played a part uh yeah yeah
1: so, okay i guess we'll <laughs> see we'll see who their <laughs> primary sponsors are and i guess we'll find out um Marcus Eriksson, um, I'm not sure if that pro- probably is his... No, it's not his best result. He's scored points this season, hasn't he? Uh, 12th for Salva. Um, Carlos Sainz in 13th. I don't really remember what happened to him. Did he have Did he have a problem? Did he have a coming together with somebody or something? I can't remember. There must be a reason why he ended up quite so far behind his, uh, his teammate. Uh, I really don't remember. Nope, forget it. Not gonna have radio silence just because we can't remember. Fourteenth <laughs> uh, place, having well, having a miserable afternoon though. Quite possibly not as miserable as his teammate uh, Jensen Button in the McLaren, who looked awful this race. Um, it's
0: those two big straights, man. Oh, you, never, <clears throat> never more was the the lack of engine speed apparent than this weekend. No.
1: and it, because you could see that he was that he managed to hold back. Sebastian Vettel in the Ferrari, you know, for a lap because he managed to stay ahead on the first straight and through all the corners, the car is good enough, do you know what I mean, to, you know, not be blown away. But yeah, literally, it's just got out on the straights. See you later.
0: Uh, cars were passing him like in the first third of the straight <laughs> and we're just, we're just gone by the end of it, you know. <laughs> already through turn one while yeah. Jensen's about 400 yards back up the straight, you know. It was just silly and, you know, probably for the best that Fernando Alonso didn't make it to the the race or beyond lap one because can you imagine some of the radio that would have been going on while he was getting passed by Marcus Ericsson down that straight? Yeah. (laughs) would have been phenomenal. It's a shame we didn't get to see that, to be honest. Uh,
1: Running out the finishes, uh, Alexander Rossi beats Will Stevens again in a very interesting... Yeah, yeah, he's done that. ...at the end of the...
0: He's done that a few times now, hasn't he? out
1: him and out-finished him.
0: Um... And Will Stevens was kind of looking like... He was getting the better of Mary, I think, more or less, wasn't he? yeah, pretty now much Rossi's come in and started getting the better of Stevens. So that's interesting
1: well, it's interesting, certainly Rossi is a Ferrari prodigy, isn't he I think is he not part of the
0: I believe so yeah
1: Ferrari so I guess that's where the difference between you know somebody part of a driver program like that and will Stevens, who, as far as I am aware, is somebody with a lot of money is a bit of a max Chilton yeah. Uh, in in, in that sense I think in in terms of how he's ended up in F1 comparatively so uh, I guess you know when you have the ability to to scout talent and do stuff like that you're going to end up with with guys like that again like Daniel Ricciardo isn't it when he had that season in the HRT and he just turned up and was miles better than the guy who'd been driving the car for two years and you think well that's ridiculous, isn't it? It just goes insane. It shows the show difference you.
0: between the pay drivers and the drivers who are actually race drivers, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's look at our DNFs. Um, well, let's start with the people who got goes close to the end. Um, starting off with Filippo Naza who exploded his brakes, pretty much. Um, Vettel <laughs> had about... I don't know, had enough oh. Had enough incidents to make up about five races, let alone one.
0: And we never really talked about it when we talked about Red Bull, but obviously Vettel tangled with them at the start, Danny Rick giving him a bit of a a puncture on the first lap, so right away it was, it was kind of doomed from there, and then just his attempted comeback drive seemed to get halted by a few spins. I don't know whether the brakes were a bit funny or... Or what was going on with the car? Yeah, I,
1: I kind of feel that. I mean, he—he he, to, to be fair, on the radio, he took it, you know, he took it himself. Hey. But it, it kind of the things he was doing made it feel like the car the, uh, probably was ve- wasn't in a. Yeah,
0: there were very goofy errors, weren't they? Like it was like to me, it just looked like he couldn't slow the car down. Like he was his brake, his brake pedal wasn't giving him everything that it should, or something. Yeah, well,
1: the car was was bottoming it out in in weird ways in the braking zone, so he was losing losing traction you know, off the the wheels and so wasn't slowing down enough. Um, A lot of it reminded me of um, uh, Nico when he had the the stuck throttle. Do you know what I mean? He was just going into corners and just going straight on. It was just kind of really weird. Um,
0: Eventually he puts it in the tyre barrier and that was was all she wrote. uh,
1: Kimi Raikkonen, as we said, had a (laughs) uh, fin-on-fin battle. Uh, and came off second best this time around.
0: Oh, I hope we get more Bottas and Raikkonen on the track together. Like, <laughs> it's like they knew Massa and Hamilton, is not Like It would be just quite want, funny, wouldn't you it? We just want it, them to be duelling all the time. If it turned like...
1: into an accidental thing, it just so happened yeah. that they continuously ended up on track one another and you started <laughs> getting radio messages like, oh, God, not
0: him again. Yeah, it'd be brilliant. But Raikkonen, uh, you know, ending up with a suspension failure following that crash... It's the first double Ferrari retirement, and I think, since it's, I think they said since 2006. Yeah. Which is phenomenal,
1: this is an amazing, amazing That's amazing, amazing.
0: That's nine seasons without a double retirement. McLaren haven't gone nine days since <laughs> a double retirement.
1: <laughs> hey yes. get some button finish this race shut up <laughs>
0: you know what i mean though it's an incredible rel- a testament to reliability yes but at the same time makes me a bit sad because i like i, I want to see a bit unreliability it makes for interesting races but yeah the, the it just goes to highlight the complete bulletproof nature of these technological beings that are formula one cars <laughs> in 2015 <laughs> It's phenomenal. I I couldn't believe it when I heard that stuff. I was genuinely stunned. Like even if the cars were a million percent reliable, you'd still expect at least one race for yeah you know a wet, a wet again. a wet a wet a wet race for them to slide you know, spin it on, uh, in the wet and in the barrier or Maldonado to slam into the side of or something like that, you know. It's just remarkable that they've gone that long to time without a double retirement.
1: Then again, they had Fernando Alonso for five years, didn't they? So True. It do, does you know, give you that, a reasonable chance at good finishing without too many mistakes.
0: Equally, they had Felipe Massa. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that negates anything that Fernando brought. <laughs>
1: Well, it's entirely possible.
0: Again, I love Felipe, but you're taking a hammer in today.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a little, a little. Well, just to counteract your theory that unreliability gives you interesting races, Fernando <laughs> Alonso didn't really have a race. <laughs> yeah, um, it was
0: a r- strange one because they thought they'd just try anyway, even though it was broken.
1: <laughs> well, I, I kind of like that, wasn't it? It was just like, d- well, do you know what? Who knows? Do you know what I mean? It, you Sorry. might find that it's okay, but like half a lap into the race... It's not okay for Fernando to come in. We thought we'd just give it a go. All right, all right. And then he said in his interview, he said, "What will you do?" Uh, they asked him, "Like, what will you be doing now? Will you staying around and watching the race?" He said, "Nope, I'm going to go to the airport, get on a plane, go home, and think about Brazil." Mm-hmm. And it was just like, "Fair enough. That's what exactly what I do. It's it's not like watching Jensen Button do anything was going to, you know, give him some magical insight on how to make that car any faster than it is right now." So. Oh, I dunno. I dunno. Horrible, horrible times for McLaren. But there you go. Is
0: it going to get any better? That is the question. Indeed.
1: So that, that rounds off uh the review of, of Mexico. What did you make of it as a Grand Prix?
0: Uh, I actually quite like the track. Uh it wasn't a very great Grand Prix in terms of, you know, on track on track stuff, you know. the 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 Mercedes dominance here was as significant as it's been for a while i think you know it's been a while since i've thought after one or two laps oh oh it's it's they're this quick you know which they were they were that good this weekend they just couldn't be touched uh i don't mind the track i think if the track will be good uh, going forward once we get a bit more of a level playing field amongst the teams if, if if we get that if we get that i think we'll see some decent races at this track i liked i liked watching the track I, from you know a visual point of view like it's 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 a, it's nice scenery and stuff it reminds me of a bit like melbourne or canada or somewhere like that where it, it it's a decent track and it's nice on the TV whereas you get like Bahrain and Abu Dhabi which <laughs> to me look horrendous on TV you know yeah. even in even under the lights in Abu Dhabi they've tried to spice that by making a night race which I'm not a fan of anyway so that doesn't do anything for me so yeah like <laughs> v- visually it was a nice track to watch the on ac- track action wasn't great but I think it will improve with uh, you know what next season for example if it's a bit closer fields and stuff so yeah I'm happy with it. What did you think?
1: Yeah I, mean, I think I agree with you in general Um it feels like it should be a better track. I wonder if it's let down slightly by the length of the straights Um since that tends to push them towards the power side um of the thing and I kind of feel we have enough of those kind of races already um it would have been nice, I think, if there was a little bit more uh, around the sort of second sector to to even that out. It didn't really feel like it was. The stadium se- section looks really nice. But as all the drivers said, nobody's going to overtake through here unless there's a mistake, and they were proved entirely right. The only mm-hmm. overtake I saw was Perez on, um, I th- think it was Carlos Sainz, and it's because Carlos Sainz made a mistake into the corner. So great, you know, great from that point of view that they got to see, you know, Perez make an overtake, but but it wasn't going to happen in any other way, shape or form, which kind of ruins it, really, do you know what I mean? uh, And you wonder what there is for... uh, How long are Mexicans going to be interested in Formula One if A... There are no Mexicans on the grid, because what happens when Perez eventually, you know, leaves Formula One? Um, And what are they going to do if the races aren't very interesting? Uh, You know, the circuit of the Americas, you know, may have got a bit of a hammering due to the weather in bits and pieces and lost money. But it hasn't had a bad race there as yet. And... It's a lot easier to maintain a Formula One race if everybody goes, knowing that the racing is likely to be quite good. Um, It's very difficult to make people go hell. Speak to Turkey. You can have a great track and people still won't turn up. If you have an average track with not lots of overtaking and the you know stuff, why are people going to want to pay and turn up? And I, a little cynical part of me wonders quite how expensive the tickets were and or how many free tickets were made available to make sure that it was a well attended Grand Prix. Um there's my little Tim Four hat moment <laughs> there with especially with Bernie saying, Oh, this is how this is how you do it, the European races should take note. It's just like, yeah, what if I'm sure if the Union if European races could afford to wait to give away the tickets, you know, at the, like it was their first race back on the calendar. I'm sure all the races would be well attended. You know, we, you and I will be heading off down to Monaco and Germany and exactly. Belgium and stuff. All like we like. need to
0: pay was for travel. We'd be there every single one, you know. Uh, Unfortunately, so... tickets to Silverstone are like three hundred <laughs> quid or something like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I, I was a little nonplussed with the race. Um, I just it had just been a nice to have seen more on-track action, um, but it was all. Straight stuff, wasn't it? Really? Um, yeah,
0: I mean, I, I can agree with that. Like I say, I think I'm, 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 I might be wrong, but I'm optimistic we might see more going forward next season, and and in particularly uh 2017 and onwards, if if it's about that long, but um, <laughs> if it's not been replaced by a Grand Prix, and I don't know. Uzbekistan or something like that, the Antu- but,
1: uh, the Antarctic <laughs> Grand Prix, where at least but, we know the conditions will be slippy.
0: But yeah, and I have to be honest, I quite I, I liked it because there was lots of trees and greenery and stuff like that, which uh, you know compared to the deserts and the sand was a nice change for a new Formula One track. So uh, yeah, so like you said, the track stuff could be better, uh, but you know, I'm, jury's out. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, lambasting it just yet. <laughs>
1: No, no, absolutely. And I, I think it would be a bit unfair to judge it just on the first race that comes back anyway.
0: Yep. And I keep having a go at Hungary. I think Hungary is a dreadful racetrack design and it provides a great race pretty much every <laughs> <Yes>. season.
1: So, <laughs>
0: you know, who would I know? Like, let's, who cares? Let's just... <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, look, if, if Sochi can turn up a, a decent well, race... That's it, you know.
0: I've been having to go at Hungary for ten to fifteen years, honestly. And it's, <laughs> like, like there was a while where I just get I couldn't get into my head how it was still on the racetrack. I was like, they've sacked Imolan. Hungary's still here. Like I was going mental. <laughs> and and it's and it in the last few seasons it's it's been great at Hungary. So yeah, Mexico. Let's see. Let's see what you got. I'm happy to go back there anyway. Like whereas you know I'd get rid of Barre and Abu Dhabi tomorrow, and I'm blinking. <laughs> <laughs> when take a second glance but quite happy to go back to mexico
1: so with that all out of the way why don't we take a look at what's going on in the formula one news the final lap podcast And there's a few stories kicking about in the Formula 1 news, but I'm going to start with one that uh, sounds kind of interesting, but I don't think it's as interesting as it might be. Uh, Ferrari is suggesting that there is still a deal to be done with Red Bull over engines.
0: I cannot believe we're still talking about this, honestly. (laughs) It's November. (laughs)
1: Uh, Yeah,
0: at this point, I have no idea. I don't know what to say in this feature anymore. I have no idea what Red Bull are going to be doing. (laughs) I...
1: Well, he's the
0: two I'd things... I'd almost like them to see... I'd almost like them to get them Ferraris just because I want to see a competitive Red Bull. I don't want to see a 2012 Red Bull winning everything. But I want to see a competitive Red Bull, a competitive Ferrari, a competi- competitive McLaren, a competitive Mercedes. That is good for the sport. Ultimately, I want Ferrari to win. I'm a Ferrari fan. But I'm a neutral. I'm a Formula 1 fan. I want to see them all competitive. So from that point of view, I think Ferrari would be the best option for them. If they're not getting Mercedes and it doesn't look like they will, Ferrari would be the best option for them. But God knows. Who knows what's going to happen mm-hmm.
1: now. So the the deal that Ferrari are offering realistically is not for the Ferrari spec engine. So not what goes into their own cars. It would be the, the customer spec engine. Mm-hmm. Um, See that? Red Bull have pretty much ruled that out already. So whilst Ferrari may suggest that there's a deal on the table... I guess it's only there as the longest of, you know, it, it's there if Rebel can't do anything else and they want to stay in the sport, I guess. But I can't really see that happening.
0: That worries after, after, me. All,
1: after all the posturing that, that Matuszczyk has said about we won't take anything less than a full full engine, well, can you imagine that he's going to, you know, go back on that now?
0: It worries me because what if they give them B spec engines and the Red Bull beats them? <laughs> <laughs> if the Red Bull chassis is that good that it beats Ferrari with B spec Ferrari engines, they would look extraordinarily silly. It would make Ferrari's chassis look like absolute garbage. So that 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 worries me. Well, at least if they give them the same power units, they could go, oh well, we've got the same power, so. They just have a little bit better chassis than us. But if they give them B-spec power units and still get beat, that would be, that would be terrifying. Uh, the fact that they're refusing to get... Uh, to Both sides of this party are too stubborn. Red Bull won't take B-spec engines, and Ferrari won't offer them anything other than B-spec engines. I cannot see either side negotiating from their positions. Like you've got two of the most stubborn Formula 1 teams around. Neither team are going to buckle here. So don't expect Red Bull to be with Ferrari next year. As much as I think it's probably the best option for everybody.
1: The other news story, which you won't have probably picked up because it's really only sort of run around in minor press releases. It's not hit Sky Sports F1 or BBC or even Planet F1. Um, there is talk of, essentially, rebel running their own engine.
0: Yeah, there's a bit on Planet F One about that, just a little bit maybe one article. Uh, but is it not? Um, well, let let, is let it me. Not, is it not? Yeah, you, you you tell the story. Let me do
1: this one because i I like my tech my my, my geeky yeah. stories and this is this is proper F One geekery really at its best. Yeah,
0: this is this is this is your field.
1: <laughs> so. Apparently there is a secret room at Red Bull <laughs> HQ, which I love. I love room, the idea that Room 9 or something room
0: ridiculous. Nine, yeah, Room 9 or Building 9 or something. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a like like the Hangar 18 of Formula <laughs> 1 is Room 9 at, at Red Bull in Brackley or wherever they're based. Um, no, Milton Keynes they are, aren't they, actually? Yeah. Uh, and in Room 9 is a Renault ICE. Do you know what an ICE is? I have to not. It's not in car entertainment. I know you're thinking it's a car stereo, but no, it's the internal combustion engine.
0: Right. I, might, I should have got that.
1: <laughs> I didn't. I had to look it up. I was, <laughs> started, was started looking at <laughs> like I... They can't mean a six, you know, six disc multi changer CD, can they? That's, that's. I'm sure that's not what it is, or a subwoofer. Um, so yeah. So there is a a Renault ICE and a Red Bull designed Turbo E um, ERS. Use it. Yeah, you know. Right. Okay. Red Bull and Renault apparently share ownership of this. There has been some wrangling, which is probably part of why uh, this their relationship has gone quite as south as it has been. But it technically means that Red Bull, from all the work that they've done on the Renault engine themselves, can take the Renault ICE, strap their stuff to it rebrand it as Infinity or whatever the hell they want to rebrand it as and technically run what would be their own engine, even though essentially the main component of it, the ICE, is a Renault one. Mm -hmm. Then from the next season or the season after that they would just design it themselves as if they were a manufacturer.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: So they would be starting with essentially the intellectual property of Renault and then building from there. Which I think is really interesting and would be it would be very interesting to see a team start down that road of saying okay well we've managed to work our way up to the point where we haven't had to do all of the r&d to get the basic unit together we've just got to improve on it now uh that's going to cost however much less than it is to just build the engine from from scratch um or or and it's certainly going to be got the potential to be more competitive than um Cosworth's untested V6 which is floating around the ether somewhere apparently
0: um, <laughs> I would love to see Cosworth back in F1 <laughs> just, just for a laugh So that, yes, Red Bull Cosworth That'd be
1: um, so that's that's really the story um, but like I say there hasn't been a lot of pickup about it since it broke the other day and I, I kind of have the feeling that if it was really going to happen We'd have heard a lot more about it now. Do you know what I mean? They, um, I'd have thought Red Bull have been quicker to have said something about it. So either they aren't very confident in their own engine, or it doesn't really exist, and it was, you know, um, nothing more than intellectual exercises to help Renault out potentially. Um, so that's that's the other side of the coin. Um, out of those two, I think building their own engine is actually, ironically, slightly more likely than taking a B spec for our engine. But
0: uh, so, so they are. <laughs> um,
1: but we'll have to wait and see whether that actually has.
0: I think em- Red Bull, as a Formula One team, are arrogant enough to just go. We'll just do it ourselves. Then you know, I can believe that they would do that. You know, rather than accept handouts or knockoffs from from another team.
1: True, well, I think that you know, is um, I think that is the more likely scenario. I just I don't see them backtracking on that. Although Christian Horner said at the start of the season that they weren't looking to be engine manufacturers. So, you know, you
0: what go. do you what do you reckon would be better for the team, you know, in, in terms of long-term performance?
1: Uh, I think it would be better for them to take Ferrari B spec engines. Um and run a season of probably not being as good as the Ferraris if that gave them enough time to arrange a better deal somewhere else or to okay. work on their own engine in you know in the meantime so that they feel that they've got it ready for um for twenty seventeen potentially
0: as opposed to just throwing it in for twenty sixteen and it being a Honda, yeah <laughs> do you know what I mean they nowhere near nowhere near ready, you know yeah. You no, know, I see what you're saying. Yeah,
1: take the dev time because presumably until they put it in a Formula One car, they're not really restricted by the token system. I guess. But that be? That seems like that would be fair to me. That you know, if if it isn't in a car, it isn't registered as an engine design on a car, they can do as much dev work as they want on it. You know, based on what's going on.
0: I guess. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't know. Yeah, that that's the way it seems to me anyway. Uh, other news sorry just before we move on
0: do you think that by the next time we record a podcast we'll have an answer to the red wheel engine crisis no (laughs) I don't don't either let's go right carry on (laughs)
1: um Vijay Malia suggesting that um Force India need to maintain their focus so that they can secure fifth place in the Constructors Championship in Brazil um Interesting notes that this deal with Aston Martin isn't quite as close as it might have seemed. Um, Malia seemed very confident about it, but there's been little whispers here and there that, you know, maybe it's not quite as struck as it is as it might have been. Um, I still think it'll probably go ahead, but, um, yeah, it, it's not a, a done deal by by any stance. Uh, you know, and it, then that, that leaves you thinking, well, you know, what are Force India doing going forwards that they kind of can't keep at this development pace for the rest of, you know, for the rest of time. They're eventually going to sour it and and build themselves a bad car that drops them right back down from their nice, you know, middle grid position that they seem to have found themselves in. Um I think they need something like an Aston Martin to come in, rebrand, revitalise the team, give it something else. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, I said, I basically said that you know when the story first broke, that it could, to me, it could only be a positive because realistically, Force India are never going to be further up than where they are now. They're basically at a glass ceiling point where I love, I like Force India. They do a good job at doing what they do, but who's ahead of them in the championship? You know. Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, Williams. Sure they might they might you know, if Williams build a bad car and force India build a good car, they might have a season where they're better than the Williams. But at this moment in time it doesn't look like that's gonna happen anytime soon. And soon enough, you know, Renault coming back in, McLaren can only get better. Those two teams are probably gonna go ahead of them in the long in the in the long term. So it's i feel like they're definitely at like a crossroads of you know either like you say they're going to stagnate and go backwards like cyber or they need something like this to move on to the next level and if they just stay where they are it's not going to work for them i think that's i think that's clear you know there's been such a lot of talk about their finances over the last year or so that there's no smoke without fire you know if they, the, the, those, those reports wouldn't be coming out if there wasn't something in them so yeah I'm all for the Aston Martin deal I really hope it goes through both from you know it would be cool to have the Aston Martin brand on the grid point of view and because without it a fear for Force India and nobody wants another team going under
1: No um, uh, Formula 1 can't really af- afford to lose another team
0: um i mean absolutely not (laughs) especially with the red bull uncertainty
1: no absolutely it would be um it would be a major blow to to lose them that's six cars gone um you know what if the Renault deal doesn't come off then that's eight cars gone because lotus presumably can't afford to you know if they're looking at selling up they probably can't afford to continue long term um so where are we really? That's, you know, we're, we're down to like about six cars on the grid. Um, nobody's going to want to turn into that. Do you know what I mean? Nobody wanted to turn into it when it happened at um, the USA GP, did they? They didn't want to come up and see <laughs> three teams wandering around the, the <laughs> grid. It's just, it's not good for anybody really. Um, hmm. Um, speaking of. Struggling finances, uh, McLaren revealed that they dipped into the red for last season um, for the first time uh, in probably a long time since probably the early days of the team when they were borrowing here, there and everywhere. Um, The interesting thing about that, of course, is um, probably a lot of money gone on uh, recruitment costs because, uh, well, A, they had to pay off Martin Whitmarsh, quite a large amount of money one would have thought. Uh, They were bringing in talent left, right and centre and they were still paying for mercedes engines so whilst this season they're likely to get a, a lot less prize money than they started with as far as i'm aware honda are you know honda are paying for the engines this season they're not being charged for them like you know um williams are for having the mercedes engines so that that's not going on um okay they don't have a title sponsor but they didn't have a title sponsor last season either so um then there's no real real difference there so uh, I don't know. McLaren have been racing for a long time. I don't think whatever people think of Ron Dennis, he's so stupid a businessman that the team will um, end up so horrifically in debt that they they can't you know um, manage their way out of it. I just think the the team setup is it's like Williams. Do you know what I mean? Williams might not have the biggest budget in F one, but it's a team full of people who know how to run an F1 team. Mm -hmm. I can't see why either of those teams, even if they do. I mean, Williams did terribly for, you know, two seasons, like really, really awfully, um, with no real sponsors and all the other bits and pieces. And they survived, do you know what I mean? And were able to develop a car, get a title sponsor and go right back up the grid. You know, some of that happens to be down to the engine that they stuck in the back of it compared to what they had. But even so, do you know what I mean? They did it and that's what, good f1 teams can do so it feels like a bit like of a kind of scaremongering story really it's not great news obviously but there's certainly a lot um a lot less to worry about i think than the financial stuff at least right now
0: yeah i, I think i agree with that you know i don't i don't expect them to be falling off the cliff into uh financial ruin anytime soon
1: i mean they're still bringing parts to the cars for, you know as part of this season, if things were financially, um, you know, that bad for them, they wouldn't be developing the car. It would just be, you know, sat in the garage and they'd say, well, fine, we'll save it for the next season. But if they're still, um, you know, if they're still where they are doing what they've always done, I don't think the situation is as, as bad as those kind of headlines make it seem.
0: No, nah, they'll be all right. Too busy paying for every good young driver in the world. That's a problem.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's not really helped. Um,
0: <laughs> too too many too many drivers on the books. Not enough not enough seats. Yeah, it's um,
1: it's, it, it, they they reached for the moon on that one. Didn't really. They got themselves where they they were in a position where really they probably could have done with younger drivers to partner with Jensen. Uh, and then they went on this path of let's get Honda in and redo the whole you know, kit and caboodle. And the problem with that is that you then at that point you can't really risk the project on rookie drivers no matter how good they are. And Kevin Magnussen is a superb driver uh, and Stoffel van Dorn I think is going to be even better. But they're probably not the two young guys you necessarily want to have in a car that requires you know the ass driven off of it to return any significant feedback on how it's you know how it's doing Uh, those 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 kids i hate to use the words kids because they're not exactly like teenagers they're both in their you know early 20s um they can't have the f1 experience to know the difference between a really good f1 car and a really bad f1 car whereas jensen button and fernando alonso have driven some of the best cars in formula one history and jensen button has certainly driven some of the worst cars in formula one history so well and fernando alonso has driven a minardi so they can't probably be <laughs> much more experienced at driving at the back end <laughs> of a grid than that
0: um so- drove of the bar honda and the darkest of days as yes. well like so
1: the the um what was it? World Dreams one, wasn't it? The the horrific oh. one with all the faces on it and stuff. Dear God. Anyway, some um, dark dark days. <laughs> so what what I'm suggesting is that there's two drivers who know the difference between good and bad cars and can tell you know can tell you where the car is deficient because they've been in Absolutely. cars that have all the gamut of it. Whereas what what can Kevin Magnussen tell you you know about anything other than the one for, for one McLaren that he ever drove? You know, he might be able to tell you that it's understeering, all those bits and pieces. But does he have the the knowledge to be able to feedback and say it's this, it's coming from here. I'm I'm getting this here, um, but I know it's not down to this because this, and, and give them the stuff that's gonna um, mean that they don't run down technological dead ends trying to fix something because they don't re- really have the feedback coming from the drivers to fix the right things. That said, I think as soon as, you know, as soon as that car is competitive um, and Button has decided that he has had enough of racing, uh, I think Van Dorn will get in the car. I think Stoffel just has to to be able to bide his time for uh, two seasons, probably. Um, I I think Jensen is geared for 2017, um, so I think Stoffel probably needs to do something for a couple of years. and and come back for the 2018 2018 if fernando has not disappeared by that time cuz his contract will be up at the end of 2017 won't it so yeah um there'll be a i think there will be a position to mclaren open at some point hell and that's if we don't end up with three cars on the bloody grid do you well, know what i
0: mean that's true that's true um, you know i i agree i think i think the ideal for van der do- magnussen has been unlucky you know he it's, it's not worked out for him he doesn't look like he's going to get a drive anytime soon which is a big shame for van dorm. You know, he's got 2016 now where he'll be the test boy. If he can get if he can get in well to a, to a Force India or something for 2017 and then I- by 2018 he'll be in the McLaren. So it should work out for him.
1: He's he's going to be testing and doing um super formula. It's a Japanese series. he's he's certainly going to be going for the testing period for that formula so it seems like he'll be racing somewhere else whilst possibly filling in in and around the test reserve driver role.
0: Okay. And that's that's good. And then hopefully in 20... That'll be 2016. Hopefully in 2017 he can get in a... I don't know, a, a Haas or a Manor or a Lotus or a Renault or whatever we're going to have on the grid by that point. Of Force India. You know, that would be... And that would take him up to 2018 where he can then step into the McLaren and he's... Sh- Hopefully, would have had a season under his belt in a lower team. That would be ideal. Uh, I can see that happening. So Van Dorm should be all right. Magnussen, possibly a lost cause now. I don't really know where he goes from here. Possibly another Paul De Resta, case of just someone who had a bit of talent and has not. It just didn't work out.
1: I I think it's got possible that that's the. Um that's what's going to happen for him um they're just he doesn't you know he's not getting the has drive that really only leaves the mana drive uh, i don't know the ironic thing was that has said that um had they not got Grosjean they'd have had uh magnuson and mm-hmm. there's a bit of me that thinks that i'd probably have had magnuson but that uh, you know that might just be me um nah, no know-
0: I, I like magnuson but i had Grosjean for sure
1: Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, um, I, I just kind of feel Magnuson's a bit more punchy, um, and has got a lot more to prove. Uh, I think at this stage, you know, Grosjean is uh, well. You know, he's learning Italian. What What does that tell you about his commitment to doing anything for Haas? Oh, he, he fancies the Ferrari, drunk, exactly. You know, Do you
0: know what that's I mean? What, that's what he wants. he's not—I don't think he's made any secrets about that. Didn't he not join Haas and say, "This is—I'm coming here to join Ferrari"? Yeah, basically. But you know, at least he's got ambition, you know. And ha- well, t- talking about Haas, nice segue. Did you see Gene Haas' comments regarding Ferrari? Oh, well, he
1: thinks he can thinks that they can be better.
0: Yeah. So fair enough. Big talk from a guy who's never had a Grand Prix race in his entire life, or whatever.
1: Well, I guess, um, <laughs> I guess at the end of the day, you know, gotta gotta back it up, haven't you? Really, that's uh... well, that's it.
0: This talk has been laid. Now let's see what they've got. Can't wait for next season.
1: Um, anything else that you've noticed in the um, F one press?
0: yeah uh, and then lost the page just no not not much really is there
1: no <laughs>
0: <laughs> du- Dutch Grand Prix oh. interested in making a comeback
1: yes i, I saw that uh interesting um Zandvoort been off the calendar for a while um
0: Good luck, you know, they're in Europe, so good luck. (laughs) Yeah, um,
1: it's going to require massive investment because um, Zandvoort hasn't, in fact, the old F1 track doesn't even exist anymore. It's a much smaller track, so um, it'll need turning into a Formula One race again. It's not like a a sort of Turkey that's sat there or the Valencia track that's just kind of sat there and could be an F1 race tomorrow if you really needed it to be. Um, but it would be nice to have another European venue back on the um, mm-hmm. on the Grand Prix and an interesting one in that um, it'd be a European race where uh, sand is a problem very much like in Bahrain and, uh, and Abu Dhabi um, Zandvoort is uh, on the coast by sand and sand was well known to, to blow on the track and, and make conditions difficult although I'm sure Probably for modern F one, they'd um, they'd erect enough stuff to make that less of a problem. But um, what it what it got me thinking was, I wonder if you know we're we're trying to avoid this sort of twenty five race schedule, uh, but Bernie wants to get more tracks on board. There's got to be a middle ground there, and surely the middle ground is alternating venues. Um, you you keep a, a core set of classic races so you have the european season which would be uh monaco britain um, italy germany uh and spa for definite mhm uh and then you could alternate ones like uh hungary austria um or the dutch grand prix do you know what i mean so that you're not going to those every single every single season but
0: can you hear that? Yes. That's my phone.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Sean. Some people. Right. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> um, And then you've got some of the flyaway races, of which there are some classics. So, you know, that's Brazil, uh, USA. Suzuka. Um, Suzuka, Australia. Places like that. Um, But then you alternate between Korea and... Uh, China, which will probably make the Chinese happy, but there you go. Um, and you alternate between Bahrain and Abu Dhabi um, and Uzbekistan, oh, yeah. and, uh, and all those yep. sort of random ones. And so at the core of it, the racetracks that everybody kind of agrees are the ones that should be on the calendar every year. <laughs> and the ones that aren't, at least you're not subjected to them every single year. And at least it feels a bit different when you turn up. Because that was one of the nice things about when it... Al- um, alternated between Hockenheim and the Nürburgring. The German Grand Prix wasn't the same Grand Prix every single year. Um, and I quite like that.
0: I don't really like the Nürburgring as a track. Well, But then I don't really like the new <laughs> Hockenheim either. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jesus the Christ, Sean. We're going to be positive about something on this goddamn
0: podcast. Well, I, I loved the old Hockenheim. I loved it. <laughs> so no matter what they did, I was going to be unhappy there. Okay. You no, know, I do like I, I, In general, I like the idea. However... I would say that I would like to just keep the good ones all the time and get rid of the bad ones. <laughs>
1: well, so ideally... Instead of,
0: instead of rotating between Barrie and Abu Dhabi, how about neither? But, um... <laughs> well, I
1: mean, that gets my vote, but I don't think Mr Bernard Eccleston is going to probably say, yeah, that sounds like a good idea to me, mate.
0: Singapore or China, mm, how about none? <laughs> you know, that's That's what I mean, but yeah, if we have to put up with them, then on an alternate basis could work. I agree.
1: I just think it would just be a way to stop people criticising the fact that we go to all of these places that have very little history um, or a newly back on the on the calendar when you know you could quite easily alternate between them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If if Bernie wants to go back to Argentina, why not alternate the Argentinian and the Mexican Grand Prix? You know.
0: Mm-hmm. No, um, I agree. I it, can agree with that.
1: It means that nobody gets too sick of it, and it also means that the the you know the venues aren't forced to pay the exorbitant fees every single year. It gives them a you know a whole year of open racing to do stuff with the circuit and 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 what have you without the worry of formula one coming back exactly the next year so you you know you'd be damned if you let anybody touch it and you know
0: might do do that in the off season come up with my ideal calendar you know 20 20 grand prix my my including from all tracks from history and you know whatever my absolute perfect calendar from from march through to to November. That's what I'm going to do, and uh, and we'll we'll see what makes the cut and what doesn't. I'm <laughs> I'm looking at you, Hungary.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I see, I see.
0: They're on the breadline, but no, because there's that many. You know, there's so many that you could include. Like I'm thinking of tracks that I would bring back tomorrow, like Mangy Kur, which gets forgotten about. You yeah. Know? So many. So I think that's what I'll do. I'll come up with my ideal my ideal F one calendar at some point. <laughs>
1: Okay, dokie, that sounds like a good idea to me. <laughs> well, I think we've exhausted everything that's in the Formula 1 news, so that seems like a good place to end the podcast. Uh, we're a week away from um, Brazil, uh, yeah, one of, one of our favourite races on the uh, F1 calendar. Um, always a good
0: track, love that track.
1: Not sure what the weather's looking like for that, don't know whether it's uh, likely to be rainy or not, it's always a good track when it there's a, a bit of moisture about and the rivers start running and... Um, you start seeing their their cars head into some of those long corners uh, with a bit of speed going to them. Um, I'll never,
0: never forget Mark Webber sitting on the hill. Do you remember that? Sure, that was in when he was in like the Williams, I think, in about 2004, and he dropped it and he just went and sat on the hill at the side and watched the race. It was brilliant.
1: Oh yes, I do remember that. The,
0: the, sure it was Brazil.
1: I think I think you I think you might be right the 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 bit, the one I always remember from from Interlagos with with Webber is the crash he had in the Jaguar and then Alonso went through the debris and smashed through the the tire and had a massive accident himself afterwards
0: oh yeah yeah of course that was two
1: thousand and three
0: yeah I think it was two thousand and three yeah that sounds is that the right. one where the the Jordan ended up winning and then getting Ooh. getting the race later, there was a reversal of results result yes. or something, because yes, they couldn't decide when the red flag fell. So I think one of them, it was Fisichella and the Jordan, I think he celebrated on the podium, but then lost the race or... Yeah, they, they like counted it back and
1: then... Was it a Ferrari one? I can't remember.
0: I can't remember either. No, I can't remember. long time ago.
1: Yes, one <laughs> of those interesting facts, when did Fisichella not come third in a race? well quite often but anyway (coughs) (laughs) uh right so yeah that does take us right to the end of the podcast uh thank you very much for your attention for this one we've actually given the um the the lack of action in the race we still managed to uh, cover our full hour and a half allocation that we we try and set ourselves uh so that's always good fun um As I say, thank you very much for listening. Uh, In case you're unaware, our website is www.lastlappodcast.co.uk. You can always download or stream our episodes uh, whenever they're released from there. That's always the first place that they come up. Um, You can subscribe to us via iTunes. um, And you can also subscribe to us via TuneIn, which is now working. I have sorted it out now so that all the episodes should be appearing as I update the uh, same feed that iTunes works from. Uh, So you should be able to keep on top of that and have, have it automatically... Uh, downloaded to your Apple and/or uh, Android device, um, since you can use TuneIn on Apple, it's a bit uh, <laughs> it's a bit difficult to say it's one for one for t'other. Um If you follow us on Twitter, you can hear some of our random thoughts. We generally have a bit of a breakdown of the the races, you know, within 120 character limits uh, after a race, so that that's always fun to get our initial opinions of the race. Uh, and obviously, we we uh, put out a tweet every time there's a new episode, so that was a, another alert uh and uh well that's about it no there's facebook isn't there sorry there's always one more i always forget one uh yeah find us on facebook uh just search for the last lap podcast uh on facebook like the page uh and you can hear uh, all of our episodes are there plus uh, any interesting f1 stories that we see pop up especially ones that we feel uh you know don't pop up that all that often on uh, sky sports and bits and pieces so it's a good place to catch up with all the f1 gossip flying about so again thank you very much for listening guys Uh, Brazil this week and then after that only one more before the end of the season and we'll have our uh, final season review at that point Um, so until next week uh, thanks very much for listening and we'll see you soon bye bye
0: goodbye